0: today on July the 3rd, I am very, very thankful for those men who signed that document with courage and with leadership and with bravery, that document called the Declaration of Independence. Aren't you thankful for those men today? Amen. I don't know if you've had this opportunity. I've had it twice to get to stand in the Hall of Archives in Washington, D.C., I've been able to lay my eyes on that document two times and to see those autographs. That's a pretty stunning uh, and moving experience to have. And I I hope that you make it a point
1: to go stand there one day and see that. If you haven't seen it already, you know, Worship team, cheating. Y'all were in both services. Teams to that piece of parchment. And to do so really was a. Each risking everything they had as they pledged to each other,
0: as they said. Fortunes and our sacred honor. Our nation was born out of those 56 men, selflessly, selflessly, giving of themselves, being willing to lay their lives down for themselves, their families, and the 13 colonies that they represented. Selflessness, that's that's leadership. It, really, it ought to be pretty common, but it's not. In fact, I think selflessness is becoming... Uh, even more rare character traits in the world that you and I find ourselves living in today. Selflessness, increasingly rare in the society today that
1: we're a part of. Selfless, selfishness, certainly in my own life. But I I think that I would even say that in the last couple of years,
0: in the post-COVID world, Selfishness has even ran deeper and broader and stronger than we've ever seen it before. It it seems like people are even eager and happy to circle the wagons around self to the expense of excluding other people from themselves. People tucking themselves away with anger and with fear. And here's what's challenging in my own opinion, is that I'm seeing that on the rise, not only in the world, but I'm seeing that on the rise in the church. I'm seeing that on the rise among the people of of God. We're seeing that more and more. And it's easy, and, and right now you're even feeling it, familiar territory, probably, it's easy to begin to feel this grim sort of outlook about the world, right? And about society, And to kind of begin, if you're a follower of Christ and you're like me, I find myself a lot of times going, Jesus, where are you at? I'm thinking you might be a little late, right? I mean, come on back and get us out of here. And you know me, I long for him to return. I think all Christ followers should long to that. It is far better to be with him than to be apart from him. So yeah, the world's looking kind of crummy, but I have this glimmer of light in front of me. I have this glimmer of hope that I see that's so encouraging and sustaining, really, to my mind and to my soul. This glimmer of hope that says, hey, yeah, I want Jesus to come back, but he might not be done yet here. A glimmer of hope that says there may yet still be soon another great awakening, a gospel awakening across the globe where people, men and women and boys and girls come to know the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he's accomplished on their behalf. There could still yet be a great revival that God sends to his church that makes a transformational impact on the world and on society. And this glimmer of hope and light that I see, really to be very specific with you, where I see that radiating from is from a group of people that's come to be known as Generation Z. That's kind of roughly the people in the room right now who are 10 to 22, 23 years old, something like that. Some of you may be surprised because all the media tells you is all the bad stuff, all the crazy stuff about Gen Z. But I get to know Gen Z up close and personal. One, because I'm a dad of four of them from eight to 23. So I got a few Gen Zers in there somewhere. But then here in our church family, I get to spend a lot of time with them. And I am hopeful about what God may be up to. You know this about me. If you know me at all, you know I love young people. I love students. I'll never stop being a student pastor in my heart. That's a call that God's never going to take out of me. I don't see that happening. I don't see me. I see me being 80 years old, still flipping pancakes for the college students. I just want to be there. That's what I'll be doing Wednesday night after I meet with the men as I'll be cooking dinner for our college students we will be gathering together Wednesday night. And I won't lead their study. They lead it themselves. I step out and I let them run with it. But I love being around them. I love getting to spend time with that generation as much as I can. And think about this grace life. How blessed are we that since the first week of June in this new home we're in, we have had this place filled up six days a week, eight to 10 hours a day with that generation. That's why some of our new seats are already muddy and we're okay with that because it's worth the return on that investment. It's worth it for our sons and our daughters, our boys and our girls, our students. This week, nearly a 100 of them are going to leave for mission trip or kids camp out of here. And I'm passionate about that group of people. And in particular, here's what I'm passionate about. I am passionate to see them become world-changing leaders in the kingdom of God. I'm passionate to see them become church-changing leaders within the church, right here even at Grace Life. Investing in them, that's what energizes me it just does. There's a lot of things that I do as a pastor that I have to do as a pastor. It's part of my job. That's just life as a grown-up, right? We all have things in our J-O-B that don't really float our boat, don't really energize us, but it's just the territory we live in. We do it. But the time that I get to spend with students, young people, children, the time that I get to invest in them, it never feels like a job. It's always J-O-Y. It's joy through and through. And so this morning, I want to speak to them directly. There's a bunch of them in the first hour, some of them in here. A lot of people not here today. That's okay. But I want to speak to Gen Z specifically. And that doesn't mean, listen, if you're 30, that this isn't for you because I needed to hear this word again. It doesn't mean if you're 70, this isn't for you or 80. No, God's got a word for all of us here today because it's not just Gen Z that's got leadership potential in them. It's every single one of us and maybe some of you think you missed the boat. Moses probably thought that too, right? But at 80, God goes, boom, tag, you're it. In the game. In the game. Go, son. Go. You're in. Right? So there's nobody here that God's finished with. You wouldn't be in attendance today if God was finished with you. He would have already checked you out of here, called you home, but he hasn't. So we're all needing to hear this word today. But I don't mind telling you that 10 to 22 or 23 age range right there. I've spent more time praying for them specifically this week. They're just on my heart. And I'm excited about what I see God doing with them. So we've been learning about Joseph really since we moved here. Um, I think this is our ninth sermon through the life of Joseph out of the Old Testament. And so I want to go back to the story of Joseph today. Last week, we kind of got to that climactic part of the story of Joseph where he gets reunited with his father, with his brothers. And we sort of just followed that story sequentially through the book of Genesis. But today what I want to do is I want to hone in on one particular aspect of Joseph's life that really we've seen throughout the whole story. We've bumped into it. But for the sake of kind of unpacking the story, we haven't just stopped and put the spotlight on that particular aspect of Joseph and his life. But that's what I want to do today. I just want to take the spotlight and zoom in on one particular aspect of Joseph and who he is. And that one particular thing about him is his leadership, his leadership. In Generation Z, I want you to focus in with me today on Joseph as a leader for the glory of God. And I think there's so much here that God has for us today to encourage us, to give God our yes, to say, God, here I am. Send me. However you could use me to impact, to influence this world, my community, my neighbor, this kid down the street, this person I work with. God, however you could use me, God, here I am. Send me. Then that's what I want us to lock into today. Young people, I want you to have a burning desire in you for Almighty God to work in you, to work through you, to raise you up, to be a leader for His glory, a leader in His kingdom, that God would use you to impact the lives of people around you, to advance the light of Jesus, the light of his kingdom into this world that God would use you to raise up leaders who were coming behind you. And I get to see that every week when I come to Camp Shadow Lake and I see we got stellar high school and college students working in that camp and watching them love and lead middle school kids and love and lead elementary school kids and God is doing this. I'm not trying to stir up something to make it happen today. I'm telling you today, it's happening and I'm drawing attention to it today. And I'm trying to fan that fire a little bit today to say, hey, let's let this boy grow. Come on. God is up to something here in this generation. So I want us to see five facts today about Joseph and what it was that made him a great leader and that we would take away from that. God, if you would help me develop these five things in my own life, God, by your grace, for your glory, you could make me a great leader for you, for your purposes, for your kingdom. So here's why I think it's important that we follow the leadership of Joseph, because I've told you this, Joseph is not just about Joseph. There's a greater story in the story. Joseph is an example for us for who? For Jesus. He's an Old Testament example of Jesus, a type of Jesus. So we're not just following the example of Joseph today, but I think we would be following the example of Jesus and the kind of leader that Jesus is. And if we aspire to be the kind of leader that Jesus is for Jesus, then I think Jesus will be well pleased with us. So let's aim in that direction today. Genesis chapter 47. Now that that emotional reunion between Joseph and his dad and his brothers is over, the camera pans back now to Joseph as prime minister of Egypt and the pressing issue and need that is before him which is the famine people are literally starving to death literally we use that word literally a lot and we don't mean it literally but i'm telling you they were literally starving not like some of you right now are going it is 1106 i am starving no you're not (laughs) you just should have had something for breakfast maybe right I mean, these people are starving. Look at verse 13, chapter 47. Meanwhile, the famine became so severe that all the food was used up and people were starving throughout the lands of Egypt and Canaan. In in one sense, I think for Joseph, it's the best of times. He's reunited with his dad, his brothers. They're, They're moving into the neighborhood. He gets to see them and be with them a whole lot. But at the same time for Joseph, it's the worst of times because he's the leader in this situation. And people are dying of starvation. This famine now is probably in its fifth year, maybe even its sixth year. I know y'all hear me reference the 80s all the time, only because the 80s is the best decade ever in the course of world history. Can I get an amen? Amen. All of us that grew up in the 80s feel that way. Whatever decade you grew up in, that's how you feel about it, right? As you should. But I remember as a kid in the 80s watching this music video. I'd come home from school anxious to watch this music video every day. It was on all the time. And it was a really unique song and unique music video because it had all of these different celebrities, these stars, these artists, all in the studio together. And they were all singing this song that went... We are the world. Remember that song? We are the children. Come on, everybody. We are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. There's a choice of making. You remember that, right? <laughs> Somewhere out there on live stream, somebody just changed the channel. Doop. You better not get up and leave, though. We got you here. Yeah, thank you, Norm. Thank you. Yes, that's right. Turn off, Can we turn off the lights and just hold up our phones and go with that for a minute? Just kidding. Just kidding. The one thing you might be forgetting about that video, though, is occasionally spliced into it, as I remember, and maybe I remember it wrong, but I remember this being associated with it. There were these images of the famine in Ethiopia, which is why they were recording that song at that time, to raise funds to try to provide resources and food because people were actually starving to death. And so if you can kind of think back to images like that you've seen, I think you get a better idea of the situation that Joseph finds himself in here as the leader of this, the one who is in charge of the distribution of whatever resources they have to desperate and to dying people. And Joseph is quite a leader. That kind of situation, not just everybody's cut out for, but Joseph is God's man for the moment. And young people listen to me, I believe some of you are God's person for this moment that we find ourselves in today. I, I would be happy to live the rest of my life backstage and watch God raise up the next generation to go front and center in leadership. Nothing would thrill me more. And I'm praying God's gonna do just that. That even today, God is gonna be working in this room to raise up leaders who are 10 or 20 or 80. He's not finished yet. So I wanna read... A chunk of chapter 47 of Genesis to you. Although I'm not going to unpack it, if you're here to grade my sermon technique, I'm going to get an F today in exposition. Normally I like to go verse by verse and unpack that, which is the way we've really walked through the story of Joseph. But today I want to capture some leadership traits of his that stretch all the way across the entire story. But to sort of set that up, I just want to give you this part of chapter 47. And this will sort of set us up, Lord willing, maybe next Sunday to tie a bow on this sermon series and then head into the next frontier that God has for us. So let's look at verse 14. <laughs> Y'all are still singing We Are the World. I know you are. Stop singing it. Let's read verse 14. By selling grain to the people, Joseph eventually collected all the money in Egypt and Canaan, and he put the money in Pharaoh's treasury. When the people of Egypt and Canaan ran out of money, all the Egyptians came to Joseph. Our money's gone, they cried, but please give us food or we will die before your very eyes. Joseph replied, since your money is gone, bring me your livestock. I will give you food in exchange for your livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph in exchange for food in exchange for their horses, flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and donkeys. And don't think that was a whole lot. It probably wasn't a lot and probably pretty scrawny looking. And Joseph provided them with food for another year. But that year ended. And the next year they came again and said, We cannot hide the truth from you, my Lord. Our money's gone and all our livestock and cattle are yours. We have nothing left to give but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your very eyes? Buy us and our land in exchange for food. We offer our land and ourselves as slaves for Pharaoh. Just give us grain so we may live and not die. And so the land does not become empty and desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. All the Egyptians sold him their fields because the famine was so severe. And soon all the land belonged to Pharaoh. As for the people, he made them all slaves from one end of Egypt to the other. The only land he did not buy was the land belonging to the priest. They received an allotment of food directly from Pharaoh, so they didn't need to sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, look, today I've bought you and your land for Pharaoh. I will provide you with seed so you can plant the fields.
1: Then when you harvest it, one fifth of your crop will belong to Pharaoh. and as food for you, your households,
0: and your little ones. You've saved our lives, they exclaimed. May it please you, my Lord, to let us be Pharaoh's servants. Joseph then issued a decree that is still in effect in the land of Egypt, or it was when Moses wrote these words, that Pharaoh should receive one-fifth of all the crops grown on his land. Only the land belonging to the priest was not given to the Pharaoh. Let me tell you, this is brilliant leadership
1: that we just read right here. Brilliant. Made him a great leader. That's what we want to talk about today. What are the five takeaway traits? There's more than
0: five, but I knew you'd be starving if I didn't get you out of here on time. So what are, what are five that we could at least pinpoint today that made Joseph a great leader for God? The number one trait is this. God was first in Joseph's life. Above anything or anybody else, God was first in his life. When Joseph's life was hard, and it was hard often, God was still first. He trusted God. When he was propositioned by Potiphar's wife, God was still first in Joseph's life. He wanted to honor God above all things. When he experienced success, he gave God all the glory He honored God in it. God was always first in his life. So I'm asking you today, Grace Life, and in particular, Generation Z, I'm asking you, is God first in your life today? Is he a God that is first or is he a God that gets what's left of you? Is he first in us today here, Grace Life? First of all, let me ask you this. Have you trusted Jesus Christ? to save you from your sin, to make you right with God? Have you trusted that he is the one and only son of God that died to pay for your sin debt, to remove the sin barrier, that God raised from the dead, to reconcile you to God, to bring you in to the kingdom of God? Have you today given your life? to I ask that for obvious reasons, but here's a reason you don't know why I'm asking that because you don't know this tidbit but within our little church family here, we have 70 young people that we know of in our record, 70 between the ages of 10 and 19, who come to church on a regular basis with a mama and at this church. And yet of those 70 kids, none of those have trusted Christ as savior and Lord. Or if they have, They've not yet professed their faith in Jesus publicly through baptism. That's kind of scary. At the same time, I'm kind of wondering, God, what, what are you up to here? Is there about to be a great outbreak here within this generation? Are, are we seeing the ground laid in the formation of what could be that revival that we spoke about, that great awakening that we spoke about earlier. And listen, if you're one of those young people or you're an old person that's sitting here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your savior, to be your God, you've never laid your life down and said, God, I want to follow you for the rest of my life, then that needs to happen. And I'll tell you when that needs to happen. It's on God's calendar, by the way. He's already scheduled that for you Do you know where it is on the calendar? Jesus always schedules salvation on the same day on the calendar. It's today. Over and over, God says today is the day of salvation. Yesterday's impossible, tomorrow's not promised. Today is the day of salvation. If you have trusted Christ to save you, then I'm asking you, is he first in your life? Are you following him? Is he your king? Is he your Lord? Is he supreme in all of your life? He should be. He's supposed to be. Not only that, but I believe that we have a number of young people in our church, maybe some not so young, who are this close, not just to being saved and trusting Christ as Savior, but we have many in this church who are this close to stepping across the line and saying, God, I give you my life. I, you're my savior, but I want you to be my
1: Lord. I've had my plans for my life, but I don't want my plans. I want your. You want me to do wherever you want me to go, God, I'm in. For students to answer that call. To say yes to Jesus,
0: to give him all of their lives. I'm ready to step back. I'm ready for them to step forward. I want them to go. I just want to be their biggest fan. I just want to be their greatest cheerleader. That's all I want to see God do in this generation, this group of students to rise up and say, God, I'll go. That's what I prayed when I was 19. I've never regretted praying that. I've wondered sometimes if God regretted me praying that he's had to put up with me all these years, but I've never regretted praying that because he's been so good to me. He's been so faithful to me. And this journey has been so good. And I thank him so much. I just want students. I want people to know that, to know that joy of following Jesus. I'm still on that journey and I don't always keep him first in my life. That's why when the story's written one day, it won't be about me. Just like the story's not about Joseph. It's all about Jesus. So God was first in Joseph's life. And I pray that he is today in our lives. That's what made him a great leader. The second thing that made him a great leader is this. He honored those in authority over him. He honored those in authority over him. This means that Joseph was humble. No matter where he was, he was humble. He submitted to his father when his father said, run this errand. Go check on your brothers. He, he submitted that, to that leadership. He submitted to Potiphar's leadership when he served in his household. He submitted to the leadership of the prison warden when he was in prison. When he was serving in Pharaoh's courts. Listen, young people, we all answer to somebody. All of us do. There is no reality in which a person doesn't answer to somebody. I was talking to some of our students the other day, and I said, you guys are members here. That means you're my boss. Have you ever thought about that? You're 13. I work for you. I'm accountable to you. That's the truth. We all answer to somebody. And I would ask you all today, because I think maybe it's not just students that need to hear this question, but adults. Because some of us, if our Memaws could come back, they'd whoop our butt." We've lost our manners. We've we've lost our sense. Even church folks go around acting like they hadn't had any kind of raising. So how's your attitude toward those that are in authority over you? How's your attitude toward those that you're accountable to? Your parents, your boss,
1: your teacher, your coach? Policeman on the street. I'm just saying, that is a place of leadership that God's put
0: in your life. You'll never be an effective leader if you don't honor those that are in authority over you. Not everybody that Joseph submitted his life to were good. Not everybody that he submitted his life to were godly. In fact, probably none of them were. But yet he still sought to honor those in authority over him because he trusted that God had sovereignly placed them into that position. So he was a great leader because God was first. And he submitted to those who were were in authority over him. Number three, he was a great leader because he lived with integrity. We know how he walked in integrity when he was propositioned by Potiphar's wife. And he was probably tempted many times, many different ways. As a young, red-blooded male, I bet he was tempted to get even with his brothers, right? At some point. He might have even been tempted to kind of line his pockets with some of Pharaoh's accounts along the way. But he didn't do those things. Joseph was a young man that walked in integrity. That means he did the right thing, even in the dark. He did the right thing, not just when people were watching, but even when people weren't watching. That's what it means to have integrity. You see, talent, young people, might get you to the destination, but character is what keeps you there. And Joseph was a man of godly character. And listen, young people, today, if you would say, God, I give you my life. Here I am. Send me. I'm a blank check. You, you fill it in however you want to, God. I'm yours. When you say that to God, when you pray that prayer, the cannon of the enemy is going to just slide right over to you, and you're going to be right in the crosshairs of his ammo. He's looking to steal, kill, and destroy, especially a young person who has all of their life in front of them, who gets on their face before God and says, God, I'm yours. i You're going to be shot at by the enemy like nobody's business. That means you can't quit. You can't let up. You can't get so cocky that you go, I got this. Because the Bible says, if you think you got this, you don't. If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Because pride comes before a fall. You can never stop standing against the enemy. And I want to see you all become leaders in the kingdom of God. Keep God first. Honor those over you. Live with integrity. And all that stuff in the heart. So important. But a great leader has more than the right heart. He has the right thinking. And to be a great leader, you have to be a strategic thinker. That's what Joseph was, a strategic thinker. Look, he saw, he was visionary. He saw the famine coming, and he strategically thought through what to do with that. How do we handle that? How do we walk in this? Listen, great leaders, if you aspire to leadership, know this, strategic thinking, a creative spirit, and a can-do attitude. Are necessary to be a great leader Joseph had a strategic plan for how to bring about reconciliation to his family he had a vision for that he put a plan together to do it strategically he had a vision for how to settle his family in the land of Egypt and he had a strategic plan for how to accomplish that There's great famine in the land and Joseph could see that and he had a strategic vision for that you might say Joseph was visionary He could see what was happening before it happened, and he would seek the Lord and mobilize himself and mobilize others to devise a plan to walk in that. Joseph led from strategy. That's what leaders do. Great leaders do that. They lead from vision. Despite all the adversity that he faced, Joseph kept seeing the big picture. He never he never took his eye off the ball of what God was
1: up to on the grand scale. And I believe today, oh my goodness, today, there is a gaping hole in our society for good, godly,
0: visionary leadership. And every time we find that kind of gap or hole in society, it seems to me God raises up his people to fill that with his goodness with his wisdom, with his righteousness, with his purposes. I believe the world is in need of God-called visionary leaders today. Men and women that God has placed his hand on who
1: believe that God is able to do more than we can think or dream or imagine. And they might be 10 years old or 20 or 80, but that
0: God would raise up people today who are gonna be visionary leaders for God. Visionary leaders who can see what other people can't see yet and who can think strategically about how can I get these people to see what they don't see and not only to see it, but to achieve it, to walk in it. Generation Z, I pray that you would start today to trust God, to do big things in your life, to do big things through your life. And don't you dare let some wannabe talk you out of how big your God is and how big the things are that your God wants to do in you and through you. I, for one, as your pastor, ain't gonna tell you that. God forbid that I minimize God and his purposes and his potential in you and through you. I never want to do that. I want to be coming along beside you this whole time going bigger, bigger, greater, bigger, bigger. Come on. He's worth it and he's able. Dare to envision, students. Dare to envision and dare to execute God-sized things for the glory of God. We're not promised another day. I'm swinging for the fence today. And if he gives me another day, I'm going to swing for the fence on that day. Because I've only got so many days I get to hold a bat in this life. And I'm trusting him for big. Not so I leave a name for myself, but for his name, for his glory, for his renown. Joseph was visionary. He was strategic. But here's the cool thing. This made him a great leader. And here's the fifth point. Although he was a big pitcher, he led with compassion. He was a big picture, but he never lost sight of the need right in front of him, the people right in front of him. This is an amazing character trait. He cared about people. He cared for the people in the region. He didn't want any of them to perish. He wanted them to be provided for. Even when they had nothing left to buy food with, Joseph was still leading with compassion. Not control, not manipulation, compassion. The people bought grain from the government with their money. And then they ran out of money. And so the people bought grain from the government with their animals until they ran out of animals. And then they bought grain from the government assigning over their land and themselves to the government. And Joseph stamped that. And you may be sitting here going, that doesn't sound compassionate. How would you say that's compassionate leadership? What would have been compassionate? This is what some of you are thinking. (laughs) You're thinking what would have been compassionate is the obvious, that Joseph would have gone to the silo of grain and filled up buckets and said, here, y'all,
1: I know you got nothing. So here's the grain. That would have been compassion. That's what you're You say, I don't understand. Let me explain. Joseph was going to make sure the people had food.
0: But Joseph understood that God had created people in part to work. To work. Work is not the result of sin, work was in the world pre sin, pre fall of man into sin, work existed. God put
1: Adam and Eve in a garden. Mm. I got field peas shelled. Man, I'm shelling
0: peas every night. That's the most satisfying activity. Just open it up and rake those peas out. That stuff didn't just happen. I, I, I work it before I come here to work. And I get through working here and I go home and I work it some more. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. God put them there and they worked, they worked, they worked. Creation is intended by God to be cared for by working people. Human flourishing on this planet does not happen unless people work. And when a government allows people who have the ability to work to not work, encourages them not to work, then that government, that leadership, which is not good leadership, robs people of their intended value and their intended worth and purpose and self-esteem. And given enough time, those people become marked by a soul-sucking and society-destroying selfishness. Welcome to the year twenty. 22, this is where we are. Joseph wouldn't do it the way we're doing it. And you go, if he had just given them food, that would have been compassion, would it? No, I don't think so. Joseph was compassionate enough to not just give the people bread. He wanted the people to have lives with purpose lives with meaning lives with value he wanted them to know the joy of being a producer not just a consumer he understood that image bearers of god are made to create they're made to produce and to reproduce and to work that is god's blueprint for us That is embedded in our divine DNA. And Joseph had compassion for these people. So Joseph says, we'll buy your land, but you keep working it. And when the famine is over and the crops start producing, you keep 20% of it. We'll just tax 20%. Some of you wish you had a 20% tax bracket. That would be more fair. This wasn't just fair by ancient standards. This was generous because by ancient standards, the typical income
1: tax was 50%. Joseph said, your income tax is going to be to that kind of leadership. Did they think, Joseph, you have saved our lives.
0: And I don't think they probably meant just physically. Dad could still hold his head up high. There's still work to be done. Still, a reason to get up and go. Still, a sense of satisfaction shelling those peas at the end of the day. He saved their lives beyond the physical. Generation Z, today, you're living in a world that is experiencing a great famine, but not just physical. Lives that need to be saved beyond the physical realm. You are growing up in a world that has been stricken with all kinds of famines. We're not facing a physical famine like they were, at least not yet. There's another reason I shall peace. But we are facing real famines that are fully present now, famines that are spiritual in nature, famines of darkness and lostness. Famines of hopelessness and confusion. Famines of selfishness and hatred and violence. And you know the answer to those famines? It's Jesus. And we cry out, so Lord, come on back. And we should cry that. We should pray for that. We should even not eat our shelled peas and we ought to fast for that. But we also have to live with the realization that he has already come and he is still here. The Spirit of Christ lives in the hearts of his people. Why is that? Why are we here then? Why is he in us here in this world at this time of famine? Could it be that God is raising up a Joseph or a Josephine? That God would use today to make an impact, a difference, have an influence in this world for the cause of Christ. Will we today lay our entire lives before Him on these altars and say, God, here I am? Goofy old, messed up, hot headed, ignorant, wrecked reputation, messed up past, but God, I'm all in. If there's anything under the sun you can do with somebody like me, here I am. Remember who said that? Isaiah, right? Before he got to that point, he had to go, God, I'm messed up. That's what he said. God, I am messed up. I live among a bunch of people that are messed up, and I'm messed up. But God, here I am. Send me. Will you do that today? Will you surrender your life to Jesus, young people, old people, today, and say, God, here I am. Would you help me to keep you first in my life? Would you help me to change the way I've been living and to honor those that you've put an authority over me? Will you help me today
1: to be a person that lives with integrity? Will you help me today with compassion?
0: God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit is speaking to people's hearts. Old to young. But God, the crosshairs of this preacher today I pray they'd set themselves apart today and say, God, here am I. Send me. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe today you've never trusted Christ or maybe today you've never gone public with that. I want to invite you today to go public with that. You can just walk down here in a minute and say, hey, I'm going public today, Pastor. I'm following Jesus. I gave him my life. I've never gone public with that, but I'm going public today. Maybe today, young people, you're one of those 70 students in our church. You call this place home, but you don't know Jesus. You've never given him your life. He's marked this day on his calendar. It's today. Today's the day of salvation. Or maybe today you're here. Maybe you're more of my generation, and you need to repent of selfishness. We lay down too easy. We, we protect self too quickly. It's in the church. We're in the world, and we're quickly becoming of it. My wife and a friend went to my favorite Greasy Spoon restaurant to get breakfast Friday. Y'all heard me talk about my favorite place, my little Greasy Spoon spot. They got there Friday and there was a sign up that said, we're closed. We can't get enough people to work. The least little bit of wind of resistance blows and we lay. How can the church be salt if we've lost our grit? You're not supposed to say stuff like this on the platform, especially when you're live streaming. We can't keep having dozens of people call in on Sunday morning that they can't come serve in our preschool ministry. That can't keep happening. And it's not just that area of ministry. Church, if we keep going the direction we're going in, us and all the churches around us are going to put a sign on the door one Friday that says closed. We can't get enough workers. And I'm just wondering today if there's anybody that God's calling out to say, Hey, I'm in this world, but I don't want to be of it, God. Here I am. Send me. I'm all in, God. Blank check. Before you God fill us with grace. Fill us with grit. Most of all, fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Hey, let's stand.